bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Here at The New American, we take the most important news stories, we lose the propaganda, and we bring you the truth. That makes us one of the most censored and attacked publications in America. So if you enjoy the show, please share these episodes with others. Now, listen to this. A part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations of which the United Nations is the outstanding, but far from the only example. That was John Birch Society founder Robert Welch warning many decades ago that the United Nations was created to end the sovereignty of nations and become the control panel of world government. Today, we're looking at the next steps the UN intends to take in its decades-long mission to install world government. With this year's Davos meeting in the rearview mirror, all eyes are on the next major globalist gathering. The UN Summit of the Future will be held this September in New York City. The summit is supposed to be the biggest UN event in years, maybe even since its founding way back in 1945. Here's some of what UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said about it in Davos. He said, the institutions and frameworks of global governance, from the Security Council to the Bretton Woods system, were created 80 years ago. We can't build a future for our grandchildren with a system built for our grandparents. The United Nations is fully engaged this year in efforts to bring them up to date, rooted in equality and solidarity, based on the UN Charter and international law. In September, we will host a summit of the future focused on solutions. The summit will consider essential reforms to the global financial architecture to make it responsive to today's challenges and representative of today's world including many countries in the global south that were under colonial rule when it was created. Reforms to the Security Council and a proposed new agenda for peace would help to prevent and resolve conflict, rebalance geopolitical relations, and give developing countries a proportionate voice on the global stage, end quote. In other words, the globalists are preparing for a major overhaul of the entire UN system. On this show, we've talked a lot about the UN, but mostly in the context of the radical global environmentalist movement. We've been focused on the environmental angle and the climate scam because for many years now, that's been the major focus of the UN, at least publicly. But in decades past, we've warned about the more comprehensive goals of the United Nations and how its founders and those who support it today intend sooner or later to transform it into a full-blown world government. People have always scoffed at this because they either believe that the UN is just supposed to be a forum of world peace or because they don't think it will ever become that powerful. Once upon a time, we pointed to the UN's efforts to create its own military and to use Security Council functions to take away national sovereignty from member states. We pointed to wars like the Korean War and the Gulf War that were fought under UN authority. We also warned about the UN efforts to disarm private citizens, especially in these gun-toting United States. But in recent years, those concerns have faded from the public eye. But now, things may be about to change. The upcoming Summit of the Future is going to be an attempt to supercharge the UN's other powers, especially its military power. The excuse will be that all the wars and potential wars cropping up around the globe mean 
that the UN needs new powers to prevent them as it once supposedly did. It turns out that the UN has already released an agenda for the event. It's called a new agenda for peace and it's organized into 12 compact actions along with recommended steps to achieve them. Let's look at a few of them to get an idea of what Guterres and company are planning. Action one is eliminate nuclear weapons. This has long been a goal of the UN, but contrary to what it may sound like, eliminate doesn't really mean get rid of them. It means to surrender nuclear weapons to an international authority. There's an old State Department publication from 1961 called Freedom from War, the United States Program for General and Complete Disarmament in a Peaceful World. It lays out a multi-step program for bringing the world's nuclear weapons stockpile under the control of the UN and creating a future UN Peace Force that would be the only armed entity on the planet. The goal, according to Freedom from War, would be a point where no state would have the military power to challenge the progressively strengthened UN Peace Force. The document also proposes treaties to gradually reduce nuclear weapon stockpiles, prevent any more countries from developing them, and ban nuclear testing, all of which have been accomplished since that time. And while nuclear weapons are very dangerous, a nuclear-armed United Nations with the power to coerce even the United States to do its will is far more dangerous. Nevertheless, it looks like nuclear armament under the UN is about to become a thing again. Action 3 is titled, Shift the Prevention and Sustaining Peace Paradigm Within Countries, and Action 7 calls for a reduction of the human cost of weapons. One of the recommendations connected with Action 7 wants to, quote, implement regional, sub-regional, and national instruments and roadmaps to address challenges related to the diversion, proliferation, and misuse of small arms and light weapons and ammunition, end quote. Furthermore, the document recommends data collection and monitoring and, quote, pursuing whole-of-government approaches that integrate small arms and light weapons control. In other words, they want to bring about gun control. They want to confiscate privately owned firearms. All of this is tied to wars, terrorism, insurgency, and violence in general. In the past, the U.S. has rejected U.N. efforts to disarm American civilians. That might change in a hurry if a Hamas-style terrorist event were to unfold in the U.S., courtesy of all the terrorists currently walking into the country across our southern border. Finally, Action 12 speaks of building a stronger collective security machinery. According to the recommendations, this would involve making fundamental changes to the Security Council in order to strengthen it. It will probably also involve a rewrite of part of the U.N. Charter. In other words, what is coming is a push to completely transform the United Nations. And you can bet that if they're successful, we'll be left with a much stronger UN, much closer to the goal of a true world government. And in case you have any doubt about it, this wouldn't be some sort of world federalism like the U.S. constitutional system. It would be a totalitarian socialist world government. Antonio Guterres himself is one of the world's leading socialists. He's been the leader of Portugal's Socialist Party and the president of the Socialist International. So essentially, the summit of the future is going to be the next major step toward world government. So join me for today's discussion is editor-in-chief of The New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and executive senior editor, Steve Bonta.
Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Hello, Paul. Paul. Well, I'd like to say that it's going to be fun, but this conversation, uh, I look at it as just necessary. Steve, you did the, the lion's work of the, the research here. You're also work. I guess you were doing this while you were working on the latest WF um, article that's coming up in our, uh, the next is issue of The New American. Gary, I'm going to start with you here. What do you make of what the UN is likely planning here? Uh, we have reported this. I see that you have that document that we yes. were talking about. And I believe we included that in an issue of the New American. I, I, it was early 2000s or late uh, 1990 when, again, we were warning about this kind of thing. I don't remember the year, but we did have this document, uh, Freedom from War, the United States Program for General and Complete Disarmament in the Peaceful wor World, inserted into an issue of the New American Magazine yeah. to show that we're just not making this stuff up. And, of course, as you explained Paul, in your opening remarks, a disarmament is now about getting rid of weapons. Yeah. Uh, whether we're talking about uh, a handgun or we're talking about a nuclear weapon, what we're talking about is not weapons elimination, but weapons control. And what is envisioned by the internationalists is that the United Nations, which is intended to become the seat of a world government, is going to control the weapons. Yeah, yeah, and we made that, that very clear. And like usual... These, uh, these strategies involve the type of wording that, like you said, it's, oh, disarmament. It's like, oh, yes, well, that, I think everyone would agree if there's a way to get rid of, like, completely get rid of nuclear weapons uh, without anyone having them. I don't think anyone would necessarily oppose, but as we've shown, as, and as have you reiterated, that's not what's at stake here. We're going to dive more into the details right after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. For more non-propaganda news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth and accurately projecting policy and cultural trends since 1985. We are the official magazine of the John Birch Society, which was founded in 1958 to stop the New World Order. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then hit subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call for a subscription. 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Welcome back, folks. So we are talking about the UN's next phase of, uh, I guess, in, in, in the attempt to build world government. Uh, I wanted to read a quote from the April 1974 edition of Foreign Affairs, which is the globalist's publication. 
And this is from, it's called The Hard Road to World Order by Richard Gardner. And I'm going to read just a couple of quotes from him, not the entire thing. And he says, if instant world government and a greatly strengthened international court do not provide the answers, what hope for progress is there? And he says, in short, the house of world order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than from the top down. It will look a lot like a great booming, buzzing confusion to use William James' famous description of reality, but an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. So it sounds like he's saying there's no other way in the future but global government. Is that right, Steve? Well, you know, I think when the UN was first set up, the trauma of World War II was so immediate that the belief was that, you know, we'll create this organization, which, which they did. It was created right at the end of World War II and, and came into being in October of 1945. And a whole bunch of countries joined right away. And it was, un unlike its predecessor, the League of Nations, it, was, it, it received a fairly rapturous uh, reception in the United States. And the idea was, well, you know, people have suffered so much will set up this organization that will be kind of a blueprint, if you will, an embryonic world government. It will, have, it will have the structures that can be turned into real government structures at an appropriate time. And probably within 10, 15, 20 years, most will be able to affect that change. We'll be able to tweak the UN Charter and transform the Security Council into a bona fide executive branch of world government. And the General Assembly can become sort of a world parliament with, with full power to pass global laws, all this stuff. I think that was the expectation. But that's not what happened. The result was that we've ended up with a system that, you know, by the 1970s had been around by the time Richard Gardner wrote that uh, that article had been around effectively for three decades, and a lot of people were in the globalist sect, of which Gardner was one. He was a professor of foreign affairs or something like that at, at um, Columbia University for many years. And so a lot of them say, okay, what's, why don't we have a world government? What, what's going on? What do we have to do? How, how should we modify our strategy? Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying is we've been too direct, and obviously it's, 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 going to, it's, it's a more complicated and longer-term project than many of us had imagined. So here's how we do it. We, we try to advance the cause of globalism, of world governance, as they sometimes euphemistically term it, on many different fronts and at many different rates of speeds concerning a whole range of different issues, not just you know, building up a world military, doing all these, these obvious things, either transparently an attempt to assemble an actual government, but instead use things like the climate or human rights or I don't know the ch uh, children or whatever all, all these different things. Sure, and <clears throat> disarmament. And, you know, work on work on um, obviously world finances and all these other stuff. And it, it, it's going to end up being such a complex ordeal that while those of us who are in the know will know what's going, what the gist of it is, the long-term gist will. of it. Most of the people he uses this term "booming, buzzing confusion," which is telling because what he doesn't mention is that William James used that term not to describe reality but to describe reality in a specific context, i.e. the way it's perceived by a newborn baby. Oh, wow. William James was a psychologist and a oh. philosopher. Okay, and he said, well, none of us can remember, but this is probably how infants perceive the world, a booming, buzzing confusion. So he's likening onlookers, spectators, to this grand project of world order as babies. Yeah. You know, as babes in arms who really don't know what's going on, and so they think it's just all kind of random events. And this is the reason that over the decades that we have espoused the cause of getting us out of the United Nations and indeed ending the UN altogether, 
that we've been very much lone voices in so doing because so many people have been deceived into thinking that there isn't really a grand plan to do what we're, we're claiming to do, that this is all just, these things are more or less haphazard and some people want this and some people want that. And it sort of looks like it's all coming together and coalescing it, but it's, it's all by accident, you know. And, the buzzing and, confusion of life. Right, it's the buzzing confusion. And so it, it's been a very effective strategy, okay? And so, for example, the days when the State Department could make a, a, a just a blunt statement that, well, okay, here's what we want. We want to disarm all the countries in the world. We want to the, the UN to have a monopoly on military force and on, on nuclear weapons and all that to make sure no one can. I mean, those days are long gone. No one's going to make a statement like that openly today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But but instead, all this other, you know, the climate stuff in particular and everything else that we report, these various UN meetings and other groups like the, like the International Criminal Court, uh, like the um, the World Trade Organization, the WTO, mm-hmm. both very powerful international organs in their own right, are part of the larger UN system, as is, as are regional security arrangements like NATO and Seattle and ANZUS and so forth. Are all, you know, ultimately answerable to the UN. Uh, regional government blocks like the European Union, the African Union, the Mercosur, and South America and so forth are also considered to be part and parcel of the greater UN system. But this is so this is too much. Most people look at it, they just don't see it as a as as a as a simple unified whole, all consecrated to the same outcome. Well, but it, it is. It does. I mean, it is complex. It is confusing as all the plans of the globalists are, and even we don't always know if that's part of the plan or if that's. Uh, spontaneous, but I think it's telling that they use a quote, you know, that refers to babies because I think that's the way they look at us. Right. Too, they supposedly right? are the adults. Yeah. Yeah. They're the adults and we're the babies and they're going to, you know, they're going to control everything. And we, we're always just going to be confused because we don't, we're just not up to their level. Sure. Well, it is confusing. It is complicated. If yeah. you don't know the game plan, if, if you don't know the, the script, but if you have the script and you know what they're planning, then really it's very simple. And uh, I, I just like to refer to one source. And, of course, there are many, many sources that we yeah. can go to. But one source that would uh, uh, confirm what Steve just said, that this whole thing was was planned from the beginning. Because, after all, the United Nations was set up in the beginning to be an embryonic world government. It was set up to become what they want to make it today. And so uh, for Exhibit A, so to speak, I'm going to go to a book, War or Peace, that was written by John Foster Dulles uh, in 1950. Was he and, the Secretary of State at the time? Uh, he was, uh, well, he was Secretary of State a little bit later, from 1953 until 1959. Under Eisenhower. Was, uh, under Eisenhower. He also was at the San Francisco Conference in 1945 uh, that set up the United Nations system. Uh, that uh, came into being later that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, a longtime member of the World Government Promoting Council on Foreign Relations. So he was kind of, in a sense, an insider's uh, insider. But uh, John Foster Dulles wrote this book in 1950, and here's what he said. The United Nations represents not a final stage in the development of world order, but only a primitive stage. Therefore, its primary task is to create the conditions which will make possible a more highly developed organization. And, of course, what he was referring to is the seat of world government. And then later on in the same book, he says, 
I have never seen any proposal made for collective security with teeth in it or for world government or for World uh, Federation, which could not be carried out either by the United Nations or under the United Nations Charter. So this organization, the United Nations, was set up in the beginning to become a world government step-by-step, just as Gardner said, Richard Gardner, in that article uh, that you referred to, Paul, in 1974. And it's just as Robert Welch said in 1958. Right. And I'm really glad you brought that in because uh, why is it that this frontal frontal attack on our sovereignty, uh, this direct attempt to bring about world government, why did not why did that not work? Why did they have to have a shift of in strategy beginning in the 1970s to try to do it piece by piece? We're going to answer that next segment. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. Welcome back, folks. So, Gary, you were a... You are about to answer the question of why are they changing their approach at the United Nations? My answer is the John Birch Society, because after the John Birch Society Society was founded, a major campaign from that time right up to the present has been to get us out, Mm. to get the United States out of the United Nations. And uh, so much effort was put on, on that, so much focus on that, that I believe what happened is that the insiders, the, the globalists, realize, wow. well, gee, uh, people are catching on. They do not want world government, and so therefore we have to do do it through a, a more indirect approach. Yeah, uh, as Steve outlined, uh, they have to use uh, uh, global crises, either real or imagined, or maybe even exaggerated, in order to uh, carry forth the the banner of what will become a world government. Yeah. So they'll point to pandemics and say, uh, well, that's got to be sl- solved through globalism. 
Uh, they'll point to the threat of nuclear war. Well, that has to be sl- sl- solved through international cooperation because, after all, these problems transcend national boundaries. Yeah. The climate change is another example. Ex- exploiting so-called uh, 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 global warming that that is supposed to destroy the the environment that is being used to to uh, further the internationalist uh, agenda. Right, and, and they've been doing that obviously for years. And it sounds rational. Uh, you know, it's like mm-hmm. if you don't know what we know, then if and if you believe that climate change exists, uh, international terrorism exists, which you do, and the, uh, which that does exist, obviously, then you may be inclined to believe that world government is the answer. What do we say before we move on? What do we say to people who say that? It's like, look, we live in a very interconnected world. Um, international terrorism exists. These, and because we travel so much, diseases uh, are more likely to travel and all that. What do we say to those people, Steve, who say global government is likely the answer of the future? Well, I mean, there, there are several responses. One is that... The idea that even – I mean there are people who even are say that we, we, we should have a world government, but it should be a limited world government, sort of a, a world federalist type of, or, uh, of you know, mm-hmm. arrangement, right? Uh, and I mean after all, look how well federalism's worked in the United States. Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. Yeah, how well has it worked here? It's worked well, but the federal government now is a whole lot powerful than the founders ever wanted it yeah. to be. We have a big problem domestically with the accretion of – unconstitutional power at an accelerating rate at the federal level and at the expense of the states. I mean, we'll see how all this plays out. The thing is, there's no reason to suppose that even if, by you know, you could craft a perfect, beautiful global constitution that everyone agreed to that was sort of an image, a mirror image of what the American founders gave us and so forth, there's no guarantee that it wouldn't still lead to runaway global, you know, centralization of power right. at a global level, and it would be much, much harder to control. So that's one issue. The other issue is, a, traditionally, the ultimate check on all government powers, including autocratic, tyrannical government, is the ability of people to vote with their feet and go somewhere else. Okay, so if you're living in a communist country and you don't like, as you're as you well know, you know, your family did precisely that. Your father voted with his feet, got, got after, and after considerable travail, got your family out of communist Romania, okay? Mm-hmm. Never regretted it, all right? Millions and millions of people have done this. This, this is a fact. People like to go to where they're going to be treated best, in effect. Yeah. But a single monolithic world government would take that off the table. Yes, it, you would. There, there would be no escape. There'd be no way to vote with your feet. There would be no uh, international counterpoise, as it were, some other government yeah. or country out there that would lure people away if your government didn't change its policies and so forth. And we, we could go on, but yeah. even, so, but those are both hypotheticals. The reality is that no one is actually seriously planning a world federal type scheme. No, no, they're okay. planning a Chinese. These guys, tiles, yeah, absolutely, but... something like that. Yeah, these guys are. All socialists, whether they're Western European socialists or, Ch- or Chinese or whatever, and, and whatever we, we would end up with, it would most certainly be a socialist government with essentially unlimited powers. Yeah. So let's go into the contents of this. In the introduction, we mentioned um, how perhaps or we implied that terrorism might serve as a great pretext for them to say, OK, we got to strip everyone. We got to get rid of all that weapons and we got to establish a monopoly on force. Um, 
But that's possible, right? What we're what we're looking at right now is from the point of view of a globalist, okay, playing the devil's advocate. We've got pretty much a perfect storm going on, all right? So, on the one hand, we have the constant menace now of a nuclear war such as we've not seen probably since the Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. with what's going on in Ukraine and to a lesser degree the possibility of war breaking out over Taiwan or the South China Sea. I mean, people are really worried about this stuff right now and and with good right cause. Yeah. Okay? So that's one. And of course, the 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 the, the idea of the need to prevent a third world war at all costs is one, was one of the the main, if not the main pretext for the setting up of the system in the first place. Yeah. So it's back and badder than ever, okay? And then on the other hand, we have what's going on in Israel right now, which started effectively as a terrorist uprising of a bunch of guys with small arms invading Israel and slaughtering lots of people, okay? So in the past, we have had, there have actually been conferences in New York promoting gun control gun confiscation. We've covered them in, in years past. There haven't been any really recent ones, but in the last 20 years, they, they have happened. And so, and, and America has always said, you know, we're not going to do that. But how would Americans feel if a, if, if a bunch of these guys that are sneaking across the southern border right now pulled an October 7th right here in the United States? Yeah, in multiple and you, locations. you had several, yeah, came out and because, you know, heaven knows you can, you can buy guns here. Even if you're a foreigner, you can get guns fairly easily. What if they all rose up and went out and ravaged a bunch of large suburban areas where the people largely are disarmed or urban areas and, you know, killed heaven Massacre, for fan, yeah. you know, on a scale that made 9-11 look like, look, look like child's play? What would America's reaction be then if the UN people came out and said, see, we've been telling you, you need to control guns because this is a problem. So th th these are so, so th these two major events right now, I think, along with the alleged climate crisis, that's the third prong of this, mm. okay, are the three pretexts that have people really exercised and have created the right, they think, the right political conditions now to, in effect, overhaul the United Nations system, as you mentioned in the introduction. Do you think all these uh, all these events that we mentioned, the, the obviously because we don't know the intricacies of of how they would influence, use their influence to uh, perhaps either encourage or make some of this happen. We know, for instance, that the United States kind of goaded Russia into Ukraine. I'm not sure Steve exactly agrees with that characterization, but we know we had a role in that. We clearly have a role in these open border policies. And, you know, we've been involved over there in the Middle East for, for decades and whatnot. Is there, Gary, do we believe that this has some intentionality in it for the exact reason to get to the point that Steve just mentioned where the globalists can say it's chaos, there's violence everywhere, we're on the verge of nuclear war, only a global solution will solve this problem? What has been said, never let a crisis, good crisis go to waste. But uh, obviously, if there were no conspiracy, if we did not have these elitists working for global control, uh, there still would be problems. Uh, right. Obviously, this world is never going to be a utopia because of the, the stain of uh, original sin. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but at the same time, there are crisis, crises that are created. There are crises that are exaggerated. There are also crises that are exploited. And from the point of view of these globalists who are working to acquire total power over the entire world, they're going to do all the above. Look what they did with the pandemic, by the way. Look at all the people who died, not because of COVID, but because of COVID policies. We're going to continue this conversation right after this. You two had a few words when they canceled us. We had a few words for them. No more. 
do more. Subscribe today and get 25% off your first year. TheNewAmerican.com. Welcome back, folks. So, Steve, you wanted to dive deeper into this new agenda for peace that they'll be discussing this year in New York City. So tell us all about it. Well, I don't tell you all about it. We don't have a lot of time. It would, it would bore people to death, but here, here's a printout of it. It can be found online easily enough. This is sort of a retread, uh, in some respects, of the so-called Agenda for Peace that was introduced back in 1992 after the fall of the Soviet Union, the collapse of the Soviet Union. The idea then being that we're entering into a new world state of affairs, a new world order, as it were, but in the sense of, you know, small O order um, with, the, with the Soviet Union gone, a multipolar world. So they, they trotted out this agenda and it never really went anywhere. So this is an, a, a new attempt to do something they've already tried. The idea being, as we mentioned before, that the conditions now are ripe. And there, it, it seems to be, it's going to serve as a large part of the agenda for this big summit on, on, of, of the future. It's going to be held in September in in New York City, in the UN headquarters mm, in New York. As we okay. mentioned, yeah. Right. And actually, if you notice carefully, in addition to this agenda, which primarily deals with weapons, peacemaking, matters of war and peace, military, that kind of thing, there's also, you know, Guterres also mentioned in Davos that they're going to talk about changing the world financial system, yes. which makes one wonder, you know, if they're thinking about trying to making another play for a world single world currency, a world central bank, perhaps a, a, world, a system of global taxation, all things that are part and parcel of the UN plan. We probably yeah. don't have time to get into that right well, we've now. we've made both those cases before. Mm. We've already reported on... on yeah, that. so clearly that's going to be in the table as well. This is, this is going to be a big deal. But this, this agenda for peace focuses on military matters. And as you remarked already, it clearly contemplates taking it, basically leveling up the game of of world government, okay, yeah. so that such that the Security Council in the last, the, the, you know, the the twelfth action item, it said in effect, it says in effect, you know, we're going to change the Security Council, make it more supple, more able to do what it needs to do. They'll probably add at least one country as a permanent Security Council member. India, Japan is another possibility, but in addition to that, they're going to, and they say, make it more democratic. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that One mean? One of the checks and balances that was insisted upon by certain countries that still wanted to safeguard certain aspects of their sovereignty was the insistence that the five members of the Security Council, the permanent members of the Security Council, the U.S., the USSR, China, France, and the U.K., okay, that they would all have this unique right to what's called a veto, that they could veto any measure by you know, the, the Security Council and thereby ensure that they not get outvoted, okay? So when they say they want to democratize the Security Council, what they mean is they want to give it more power by making the votes majoritarian rather than subject to a veto. And they specifically mention that they're going to, in, in, which I'm not going to read in the interest of time, but they specifically mention that one of the things they hope to achieve at this summit is to change the conditions under which the veto power can be exercised and make any country who vetoes a security council or tries to veto a security council resolution, they use the word accountable, make them accountable. What that means is not clear. Yeah. Okay? So then, so, so this is clearly going to be a renewal of this very old drive that was once very conspicuous that we talked about a lot to demilitarize the sovereign nations even as they grow the military power of the UN. Yeah. And, you know, with particular with respect to, to, uh, to nuclear weapons, but also with respect to conventional military forces. The United Nations right now does not have a permanent standing military force of its own. The, so the blue helmeted guys are actually troops that come on, on loan 
from various member countries. Uh, the US, U.S. troops have served under U.N. command. NATO, in particular, is subordinate to the U.N. command structure. That's very clear if you read Article 8 of the U.N. Charter. It makes it very clear that those regional military and other mm -hmm. you know, political organizations are considered part and parcel of the greater U.N. system. Okay? Yeah. So, so, but, but with all that said, what they don't have is a consolidated central military command or joint chiefs of staff or CENTCOM or something like that, you know, with, with power over, let's say, a nuclear strike force, the sort of thing that could give them the ability to nullify the will of any sovereign country and say, you're not going to do that, you're not going to do that. And that would effectively put an end to the independence and sovereignty and really the existence of the United States as yeah. a country per se. I wonder what the... What role, because it seems like they're kind of um, pushing this a little quicker now. They're pushing toward it. What role do they have? Do you think some of this came about because they realized that in the United States, they will not be able to achieve gun control? Obviously, they've been trying it for years, for decades, and they just cannot get it done. And now it seems like it's going the opposite way over the last three to four years. Gun sales, firearm sales in the United States have skyrocketed more people than ever, I guess, here now, but more people than at least recently have it. Gary, do you think that's played any role in, in this Well, I push? think people are figuring out what, what's happening, and uh, people uh, want to prepare to protect their own lives and yeah. to protect the lives uh, of their families and, of course, their property as well. But uh, I do want to comment, and, of course, Steve, you have a copy of the document here, A New Agenda for Peace. Isn't it interesting that they're saying a new agenda for peace instead of a new agenda for war? Because you got to ask yourself, why does the United Nations want this wherewithal that we're talking about? You know, you know, they they want uh, United Nations troops. Uh, they want to control the guns. They want to control uh, nuclear weapons and so forth. And they're so they're going to use all that to wage peace. Uh, and, and specifically, uh, some of the language they use uh, inside and. Uh, Peace enforcement, for instance. They're, they're going to use the military <laughs> to wage peace en enforcement. I mean, talk about Orwellianism. peace? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I just want to say very quickly, right now, the optics wouldn't look good if they tried to launch a UN-sponsored gun confiscation drive in the United States. But I would, you know, in a number of countries, Australia, for example, with, yeah. there would be a sensational mass shooting, and that's proven enough to trigger yeah, the imposition of gun controls in the United States. So far, these various mass shootings that occur uh, at depressingly regular intervals have not generated political impetus. But an October 7th-style terrorist gutter Damerung here in the United States just might. You think so? Because I think the opposite would happen. I think if that kind of crap starts happening here, people are like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. I'm going to go arm myself. So I just... I don't think they could win over the American people. I just don't see it. I, I, I don't it, see how this— It's not necessarily a matter of winning over the American people. It's a matter of creating the conditions in Washington for the elites to yeah. ram through what they want. All this comes back, and we're going to funnel to one place here, and that is what in the world do we do about this? 1962, you mentioned—maybe you didn't mention 1962, but this was our first action project. I believe it was in 1962, that being of the John Birch Society. Robert Welch knew— we must get out of the United Nations. We have known since the very beginning that we must get out of the United Nations. Take it away, Gary. Well, we do have some great news there, and that is that this year, Senator Mike Lee and also a congressman, uh, uh, maybe uh, Chip Roy, uh, Chip Texas. Roy, I believe, of, of Texas, uh, but they have introduced legislation effectively to get us out of the United Nations. They want to defund 
the United Nations. Uh, they want to get us out of the United Nations, and there's legislation in Congress yeah. to do just that. And so we would encourage people to promote that legislation and, of course, to spread the mes- message far and wide to get us out of the U.N. And to, to encourage other, their legislators, right? Uh, exactly, because this legislation can be and certainly mm. should be co-sponsored. And so uh, we would urge everyone to go to jbs.org. Uh, that's JBS for John Birch Society, yeah. jbs.org, and to uh, go to our action program there, and we'll put the information on, on the screen. But to uh, well, We're going to put the link on the screen. Yeah, right. so we have those action alerts there. We have federal legislative alerts. We have uh, state ones. But this one is probably one of the most important ones. And, and you know, it, it gets me thinking, I'm going to reach out to my my representative and my, uh, my senators uh, to to support this, and uh, well, I'm even going to share this episode so they can show. But I think no, they're that, coming that's around. tremendous. Yeah, they're, they're coming around. Right them. now, we do have a listening audience as, as well. So for those who who do not uh, see the screen, again, go to jbs.org, click on Action Alerts, and uh, go to the alert having to do with getting us out of the United of the United Nations. Yes. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, we've always been ahead on this, not to pat ourselves too hard on the back, but we're going to do that just a little bit. But people need to realize um, that we need to share this. We need to help others understand how large of a threat the United Nations is. Uh, They're only ramping up their operations and they are not going to back down. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Please join us again Monday when we'll be back.